Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host V. Happy New Year, everybody. Today is January 2nd, 2020. It's 2020, V. Wow, I can't believe I made it this it, long. It was like 1995, like two years ago. <laughs> no. Happy New Year to you all. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. This is our first show, of course, of 2020, and we hope you all will stay with us all year. Today, we will rant about the Fiesta Bowl with our resident college football insider, Zach Smith. I will take my medicine about the Peach Bowl, and we will talk LeBron with a lifetime Lakers fan. We'll also talk about the Cleveland Browns, some breaking news there. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember, starting this week, our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes a night early. Check it out on www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? All right, V, man, um, you know, I, I'm, we're going to talk about this uh, this Fiesta Bowl from a number of different perspectives, but let me start with this. As an Ohio State fan, right, because, you know, first and foremost, we're, we're Buckeyes fans. We're, you know, alumni of Ohio State. You know, we are, you know, we're obviously very proud of the university. We're proud of the team. We're proud that they represented us in the college football playoffs, playoffs and we we're proud that they played as tough as they did against one of, you know, one of the best teams in college football in recent years. They put together an unbelievable showing. Ryan Day, this is his first year as a head coach. Justin Fields, his first year as a starting quarterback. Uh, a lot of firsts. And so if you told me at the beginning of the season, hey, you guys are going to go to the college football playoffs and you guys are going to lose to Clemson in the semifinals by less than a touchdown, I would have been like, wow, that's an amazing season. Um but as it actually happened, you know, when you actually look at how it happened, why it happened, that's when it, it becomes a, a lot larger and tougher pill to swallow. You know, we are obviously um, Ohio State people, but we're also smart enough to understand that Ohio State could have won that game despite all of the bullshit that was going on in the game, right? So we mm -hmm. will say that at the outset and make sure it's very clear that everybody understands Ohio State could have and probably should have still won that game despite the bullshit that happened in the game. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But bullshit happened in the game. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the bullshit that happened in the game because at the end of the day, it's not the same type of typical bullshit that you see. You know, the bullshit that happened yeah. in this game resulted in points being taken off the board unjustly, actually stolen points, right? Not just, oh, a bad call. And some yards, you know, switch. No points actually taken off of the board. And there's no, there is no room for error here. It's essentially this is the funniest thing about this this whole scenario is specifically the 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 drop pass fumble situation. It is very clear how to resolve it, and it was resolved incorrectly by the letter of the law, which is particularly frustrating. This isn't discretion. This wasn't a missed penalty. Missed that. There is a replay rule in place to make sure that something like that does not happen. 
and how it's supposed to be resolved is very clear. Whatever the call on the field is, has to have indisputable proof to be reversed. And that's one of the things that I would say is, is of all the you know things that happen in football and all the calls that happen in football, there are a lot of things that are convoluted. There are a lot of explanations that we don't necessarily understand. You know, how do they look at this? How do they decide this? But one of the things that we actually have come to understand is that any call that's made on the field, if it goes back, goes to replay, there has to be indisputable evidence before you for you to overturn it. So even if they made a call that was mm, not that great, if that evidence is not indisputable, they're not going to overturn it. That's one of the things that we have come to understand is is, is true. Pretty much, I've in- never, I've never ever in the history of me watching football seen something like that happen. And and most teams, we've been on the other side where the it's it looks more like. An incompletion than a fumble or vice versa, but you have to stick with the call. And again, with that field. with that particular call, there are a number of bad calls in this game. There are many call, missed calls that we could complain about. You know, KJ Hill was being held in the end zone on one play. Uh, Chase Young was being held many different times. But this particular play, the reason why it's so troublesome is because it actually took points off of the board. Yep. This is the fucking national championship semifinals against one of the best teams in the history of college football that you're playing against, right? You can't afford for the refs to insert themselves in this type of game and actually steal points from you. That's different than, oh, JK, I wish he would have caught this pass. We do wish he would have caught certain passes. We do. We get it. That's different from, oh, Ryan Day, I wish he would have been more aggressive and would have gone tempo more like he was going earlier. I get it, yes. The officials are in the game to officiate the game not influence the game. That's exactly right. And so there are a couple of things, just just a couple notes about that game. You had Terry McCauley, who's one of the most you know respected NFL veteran officials, who in real time was tweeting this. He this is what he wrote. He said, "This is a great angle. There is absolutely no way replay should have reversed this. Indisputable video evidence is simply not there." Not to mention many national sports writers, Michael Wilbon, Stephen A. Smith, all of these got people who are even some people who are even notorious Ohio State haters inserted themselves in this conversation because they could not believe they had no dog in the fight. So this isn't just about, oh, we're Ohio State homers. Of course, this is what you're going to say. No, there are people who had no dog in the fight that came on Twitter or social media or use whatever platform they had to show their disgust with the officiating. And it was blatantly against Ohio State blatantly throughout the game. And and then this is the thing, like this conversation, you know, I want to get beyond us losing and getting robbed, right? This is a larger conversation. What the fuck is going on in college football? And why does this type of shit happen, right? Like why does it happen? We have to talk about officiating, officials in general, because over the last year, we've seen not just in college football, college football, NFL, NBA, piss poor officiating, costing teams games. Mm-hmm. It started with the Saints. That's That happened, right? Now we're dealing with this. And it's like every time you start talking about an official, it's like they're holier than thou. Right. Fucking Justin Fields has to sit in front of the media after a game and answer questions. Mm-hmm. Chris Olave has to explain why he broke off his route mm-hmm. and cost Ohio State the national championship. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the type of questions he's dealing with. Mm-hmm. 
The officials can release some little statement afterwards. Why are they not held to accountability like everybody else? A coach is held. Yep. To, you know, Ryan Day has to answer questions mm-hmm. as to what happened. Yeah. Sean Wade gets ejected from the game. The SEC so what, had a, what, what is what is what is the rec- there is no recourse if they fuck up. The SEC head of officiating he declined to comment. Big Ten officials are coming out and saying, "Look, that was the wrong call." Uh, the national officiating supervisor told CBS Sports that was the wrong call. But the SEC head of officiation uh, officiating Shaw decides, "Oh no, I'm not gonna fucking comment." Who the fuck are you? Yeah, and then and then like here's the thing that 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 really bothers me about this is I didn't know initially there was an SEC crew. But as soon as I heard that, I was like, why the fuck is an SEC crew officiating this when they have a dog in the race? And they say, oh, they weren't, they didn't officiate their own uh, conferences game. No, there's an, why is there an SEC officiating crew for this semifinal and an ACC crew for the other one who just happened to be the two conferences that the network the network that has the college football championship also owns the rights and pays tens of millions of dollars hundreds of millions of dollars sorry not tens a year to have the broadcast right why would you do like why would that even why would that even exist it like, doesn't even make sense because and the thing is is that people can say oh you got conspiracy theorists oh, Ohio State fans are such crybabies no listen just actually take a step back for a second and listen and be objective and say, does it make sense to you that uh, officials who are part of a conference that have a dog in the fight should be officiating at all? It doesn't make sense. Why not have your, like you said earlier, in uh, in the earlier conversation we had, this game was on the West Coast. You know who lives closer to the West Coast? Pac-12. The Pac-12. Why aren't the Pac-12 officials involved? Why aren't the Mountain West officials involved? Why aren't officials who have no dog in the race involved in officiating these championship and, and, games? It makes no sense to when have. I talk, when we talk about accountability, right? Like these, this is the same crew that fucked up the Iron Bowl, exactly, and and took basically gave Auburn a free free three points, and right? He, and, and the thing is, is even from the standpoint of just the optics, right? Which I heard somebody mention on Twitter. Even from just that standpoint of the optics, okay. Don't have any any officiating crew that has any dog in the fight or perceived so dog in the fight. It's, it's easy. Simple. There's no reason to have them involved. And what happens when you do do that is that when things like this happen, now it makes people start to question you. Because at the end of the day, and this is another thing that you had mentioned earlier, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, is that there is a lot of money involved and there are a lot of moving parts in college football. And don't tell me that I can't wonder whether or not there's some shady shit going on, because the reality is we have many instances in the history of sports where we know that that shady stuff has happened. Match fixing, like you said before, international issue. Bad calls, refs being paid, ref scandals, we've seen it all. So don't tell me, oh, you can't ask the question, no. oh, you're just being a conspiracy theorist. That's bullshit. The, the ESPN deal with the SEC is now $330 million per year. The ACC deal with ESPN is $250 million. Guess what network has the Big Ten? Which one? Fox. Mm-hmm. In a similar deal. So you've got this, this much money on the line. Tell me why ESPN, who's basically putting their network at risk with the size of these deals, 
why wouldn't there be not I'm not I'm not going so far as saying ESPN is influencing these games, but why wouldn't you wonder? There's like, just there's there's a lot of money at stake, and when there's a lot of money at stake, you know, that's the that's the type of and, thing that you have and, to ask. And how much money was gambled on this game? Officials in the in college football probably make what seventy to a hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. There's probably hundreds of millions of and dollars. And this was the mo- they said that. this was the most watched game I think in, in college football playoff for sure, college football playoff history. And part of the reason is because it ended up being a close game, which it really sh- should not have been. And so, get one other call I want to talk about again is the targeting call on Sean Wade. You know, I, again, I don't want to spend so much time. You know, my, my goal was not to have spend so much time on officiating, right? Whether win or lose. It never is my goal. I don't want to talk about the officials. In fact, that is the purpose for why they're there. Is so we don't actually talk about them, that they help us just usher along the game. Yep. But, th- the, but there are certain plays in the game that change the Listen, you're playing one of the best teams in the country in the history of college football. The margin for error in this type of game is very low. So, yes, you are going to make mistakes as a player. Sometimes they're going to out-scheme you. Sometimes they're gonna, Trevor Lawrence is going to run for a 70-yard touchdown. Yes, that is things that you expect to happen in a game like this. But what you don't expect to happen is these type of calls that impact the game in such a substantial manner and at such, such a substantial time. That timing when they kicked out Sean Wade from that game was a huge momentum swing for them, and they scored right after it. They were shut out at that point. The thing, they had zero again, points. Again. Not only that, but Chase Young was also being uh, held, on, and, and his face mask was also being grabbed on that same play. So even if you are going to call that, it should have been offsetting penalties. Be and aware of the consequences for your decisions. Not right? to mention that Sean Wade is also one of the most important players in that game. To have a and third that, person that can lock down in that game was extremely important with the quality of talent that you're playing against. It's, it was not inconsequential at all. And then the other thing is, and I'm look, again looking at the rule, last thing, in terms of how do they evaluate the targeting rule. And this is how they this is you know how they kind of define it, right? It's defined as occurring when a defenseless player, which Trevor Lawrence was not, uh, or when a player takes aim at a defenseless player, an opponent, for purposes of attacking with forcible contact that goes beyond making a legal tackle or a legal block or playing football. It was clear he was coming in for a sack. It was a blitz. Trevor Lawrence is six five. He ducked his head and tucked the ball in and braced for contact because he knew he was about to get tackled. Mm-hmm. Sean Wade did not launch. He did not do anything illegal. His arms were wrapped like a perfect textbook tackle, the type of tackle that you would teach your kids if, to make. If, if, and, and it happened that they hit helmet to helmet, and now you're saying that he's targeting, he's kicked out of the game? And not only that, it's like, okay, something happens in the moment and uh, official has to respond. This is why replay exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like... You look through and say, does it meet the criteria that we're looking for Mm -hmm. to call it targeting? Targeting, that Oklahoma play, that was targeting. Right. He took out a player that wasn't even involved in the play. And was defenseless. Was Trevor Lawrence defenseless? No. Trevor Lawrence had the fucking ball in his hand. The goal of football is to tackle the guy with the ball in his hand. Exactly. You know, and it was a blitz, and he sacked him. And, yep. it, and 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 Trevor Lawrence ducked. I mean, again, again, again. I say this again because you know people. Who and even if you're trying to protect the players, mm-hmm. call the 15 yard flag. But to take a player out, this is the dumbest shit ever. With no discretion, just say anytime uh, a helmet to helmet hit happens in football, the player gets thrown out. It, what the hell it, is that? It's unbelievable. Rule? And the thing is, is again the timing that that happened, the quality of player, the momentum shift. What happened after that? People want to say, oh, there's still plenty of game after that. You guys are still up. You still have chances. That is all true. 
That doesn't mean that what they did didn't impact substantially the outcome of the game. For sure it did. And there's no, what are the repercussions? Again, every single, we have officials from the NFL in every conference, everybody's saying that this was absolutely wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Are those what are the consequences for these officials? There are none. They took first of all, let's let's put this in full fucking context, right? Both teams have players who are not getting paid to come play. What are they playing for? Yep. JK was hurt limping to, around to, to, risking to, injury. Justin for Fields this, hurt. We have seniors coming back. Mm-hmm. Fuller, Arnett, all kinds of guys coming back specifically for this opportunity to win a national championship. That's why kids go to, they don't get paid to play college football. They go to place like Ohio state when they're the best in high school. And Akuda said this, we came here to win a national championship yeah. and to have that taken away by some punk ass dude. And that's part of what stripes, bothers, that's part of what bothers me. Who is so getting bad. paid mm-hmm. to do his job yeah. is, is it's is, criminal. It's particularly troubling because what do you say as a coach to these kids who played their heart out. Akuda made one of the best plays I've seen in the college football playoffs. That was akin to what Maurice Claret did in terms of how he stripped that ball out of that kid's hand. To make a play to change the game Mm -hmm. for his team, that he should celebrate and enjoy. And Fuller picked it up. Our senior safety picked it up and ran it into the end zone. And scored. And scored. Yep. And you took that away from him. And that's what part of what bothers me, you know, the, the most. Uh, in a second here, we're going to bring in our, our uh, college football insider, Zach Smith, uh, and talk a little bit more about this. But the last thing I'm going to say about this before we do that, and you just touched on it, is that's part of what bothers me so much about this, right? Obviously, as fans, we're frustrated. We're invested. We watch the whole season. We spend money. We go to games. We do that type of stuff. But... It's not us that really, really are affected by this the most. It's really the players, the players who put their heart and soul into this game, like you said, who are not being paid for it, who put their bodies on the line. J.K. Dobbins was visibly hurt in that game. We know it. But he was not going to come out. No one was going to get him out of that game because the stakes were too high for him and for, for his team. Justin Fields was not himself that game. He was not himself. He was hurt. He's been hurt. But yet he's put his body on the line. Chase Young... You know, Fuller, Akuda, these guys are, are, you know, they can't, they're not coming back. They have to go to the NFL because they have to take the opportunity. But this is one of those things in life that, you know, is stripped away from you and you never forget it. When I was in high school, I remember this like it was yesterday. In high school, when we were in the state championship in the, in the uh, four by one relay, and me and my uh, third leg, he messed up, we messed up the handoff. And all we had to do was get top four to go to the, to the finals. And we messed up the handoff, and I literally had to stop 100% so we didn't get disqualified. And everybody passed us. And I still got us all the way to fifth. But it was top four that went. And I remember that like it was yesterday. And that was high school. And that was a a track relay. So you can only fucking imagine, and that's painful to me. You can only imagine the pain that these guys guys feel. But let's let's, let's bring Zach in, too, because I know Zach has some great insight uh zach smith welcome to the show man how are you i'm doing all right how about you guys <laughs> man <laughs> sounds like you're, you're you're not having a good weekend bro it's 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 such a struggle because you know there's so many emotions you know my brother sent me a, uh, a text after the game that i actually posted on twitter and, and it went viral a little bit too to put kind of perspective on it he said look you know i don't want to make ohio state football all about the national championship all the time we still had an unbelievable season won the big 10 dominated michigan went to the college football playoff Within seconds of the national championship, we have to be able to figure out a way to enjoy that season. And yes, 
in a quiet moment, and when you take a step back and you reflect and you look on it, you say, yeah, that's true, man. We had an unbelievable season. But <laughs> the way this one happened, it's really hard to swallow, and I don't know if I'll ever get over it, to be honest. What, what yeah. were your thoughts on, on the game uh, just generally? And, you know, let's just kind of get into a discussion about it. Well, first, I think just kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, that's what makes Ohio State great, right? Yeah. And that's really that, – that's all walk of life is when you're striving for perfection, which is the only thing that's acceptable for Ohio State. Make no mistake, if they won it all this year – that would have been great, but it wouldn't have been enough. Yeah. People would have been like, every, Fields is coming back. We're going to back-to-back national. <laughs> right. It's never enough, yeah. right? Yeah. But um, it was a great year, but it was a disappointment because there's one standard at Ohio State, and yeah. it's a it's awesome that that is the standard. If yeah. you're at Michigan right now, that's not the standard. Right. right. So it's, it's cool in that aspect. Now, the game, I think it was uh, – uh, you guys talked a lot about officiating, a lot about the missed calls. I really think this came down to uh, – an offense that didn't execute down the stretch, like we yep. saw mm -hmm. some guys that made some routine play mistakes. Yeah. I mean, JK, the two drops he had, the yeah. one was tough. It was laid out. The, yeah. the screen was just, I mean, you train that all year. Yeah. It's just eye control. Right. And in, on the biggest stage, you have to have your fundamentals in, in check. Yeah. Um, what's not talked about a lot because of the last drive. So Clemson and Trevor Lawrence hit what three big pass plays on the last drive yeah. to score a touchdown, essentially win the game. Right. What's not talked about is outside of those three plays, this defense completely yeah. shut down. Shut, shut him down. down. One of the best offenses in the country. Yeah. Travis Etienne couldn't run the ball. Mm -mm. Couldn't run the ball. He wasn't me. effective. I, you barely heard his name. I mean, three yards of carry. I yeah. mean, the only thing they did do was he was the leading receiver. Yeah, they got him out of the backfield. He made some huge plays, mm -hmm. but it wasn't by running the ball. Right. They couldn't run the ball. The only run game they had was to run their six foot six statue quarterback. Right. Which that's, he's never done. Yeah. And their defense was on its heels. You know, but and you, people can people can say what they want about oh we we kick field goals instead of touchdowns. If not for the Sean Way play, it was going to continue to go down that path where they would have been punting the ball mm -hmm. again. Yep, we would have gotten the ball again. Yes, and we would have just marched down the field again. Yeah. So you know, Ohio, go go ahead, Zach. I want I want to hear well, the rest of your thoughts. Well, I think I think the biggest thing, the biggest storyline that's not talked about right now that happened in that game mm -hmm. that people because of all the atrocities and all this, the, the refs getting involved. What, what no one has mentioned is Ohio State played more man coverage than they have all in time, all yeah, year yeah. Yeah. against by far the best skill they faced all year. Yeah. And Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda locked, them locked down. that shit locked down. down. Justin locked Ross down. and T. Higgins are first-round wide receivers. Yeah, They locked them down. They did lock them down. I mean, Justin Ross was one of six over 20 yards. One catch. Of That's six, over, I'm sorry, over 10 yards. Mm. He didn't have any catches over 20 yards. Right. And T. Higgins wasn't even targeted over 20 yards. It's crazy. Those, like, I don't know. And the time that they were targeting, like you said, they were one-on-one. -on -one. They were not getting help, and they were locking them Locked down. Locked shit down. Yeah. The only thing that started to work for him was Trevor Lawrence running, which, yeah. you know. I mean, and, you'll and take that. Day, you'll take that, well, right? Because again, and that's the thing: it's like they are a great team with great players. It's a, it was a heavyweight fight. You expect that they're going to hit on some plays. If you give right? them an opportunity, they are going to execute and and execute well. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so I will tell you this: the other yeah. thing that happened in that game that I know you'll be excited to talk about because he's your guy, yeah. Austin Mack balled the fuck oh out. Oh my god, he he, out. he showed yeah. why I've been talking about him all year. Yes. He's been dinged up, hasn't been healthy, yes. but he was ridiculous. Even that catch that didn't count that was outside of the end zone was, was ridiculous. Insane. Yeah, it was. It was so obvious that our guys had something to prove in this game. Oh. KJ Hill, Austin Mack, Garrett Wilson, Damon Damon Arnett, Garrett Fuller. Wilson. 
just just every even sense. Chase Young. People people want to keep telling me, oh, Chase Young, he hasn't had any sacks in life. I'm like, man, did you watch that game? That dude was disruptive. Their whole game plan yeah. was was around revolving around Chase Young, not getting Chase Young an opportunity to get involved. The whole entire game plan. And that's why Davon yeah. Hamilton has a huge sack on third down because Chase Young flushes Trevor Trevor Lawrence back up into the pocket. Exactly. Davon Hamilton gets a sack. No, exactly. no one likes to talk about the impact on the game. Yes. They just like to look at the little box score and say zero sacks. Uh, he sucks. Hundred percent. Our linebackers played well yeah, as well. Yeah, yep. You know, it's just uh, Baron Browning was an animal. He was. I mean, I was animal. like, yeah, like you. It, it was. It was clear. And I think you know, I have a friend that told me this. That's not a fan of either team. He said in the first fifteen minutes, I was like, Ohio State is way better than this team, and that which is crazy because Clemson is an amazing team. But Ohio State and Venables. I've never seen Venables look confused shook. out he there. He was shook. I mean, we people can say what they want. Venables got his ass handed to him. Yeah, he did. He really yeah. did. He, and it was just a lack of execution in the red zone. Otherwise, it. that that was the way the, the game began and some of the calls. I mean, you you watch the third and one where Ohio State looks back. They they fake fake cadence, look back because they know Clemson's going to look back, and then they immediately snap it. the ball. And I loved it. It's like just brilliant. Yeah, and that's brilliant. the thing. I think Ryan had, and that's what a part. Another thing that makes me sad as a fan watching that outcome is that, and then you have Clemson playing, you know, R E S P E C T by Aretha Franklin at the end of the game as if they did something like. You guys won a game that you guys didn't you didn't dominate. You weren't the better team. You got helped by officials. Yeah, you won, so you can celebrate. Whatever. Maybe but, there's something to Dabo saying God want God God intervened in this game. Maybe, but it's just it just <laughs> it it kills me from that perspective too. And that's, if the refs are Christian, then maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know their I don't know their religion <laughs> denomination, but it's it's it, it, it was that was unbelievable. And that's the thing. So how okay? So one question I have too is. You know, as a coaching staff, right? So you have a game like this, and, you know, it's that's it. It's the end. Mm. You mm. don't have another opportunity this season to redeem. Mm. You have to go into the offseason kind of with that sting and that burn. What do you even say to the kids a- after a game like that? I mean, it's, it's, it's really just raw emotion. It's thanking the seniors, thanking the guys that are going to leave um, for a great year and their commitment to the program, and then and then really uh, educating the young guys on this. this is what – the end result looks like if you don't hit your goal. Yeah. And as, as amazing as the season was, it's going to be a real motivating factor. I mean, to be honest, 2020 Ohio State is 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 now a really pissed off beast. Mm-hmm. And that's scary for the country. Well, let's talk about that for a second, too, because, you know, there are, there are a lot of players that are leaving, impact players. I mean, obviously, Chase Young is leaving. J.K. Dobbins is leaving. Fuller, Arnett, Okuda, uh, like the whole secondary um, not to mention some other guys, and then also Sean Wade. Is there's a big decision on Sean Wade is supposed to be having this week weekend? It's not really a big decision, right? He, is he? I think he's leaving. He has to. Yeah, he's a first round corner. I'm yeah, here, I'm here I mean, what, I, it's like people talk about it. Like, well, he was the nickel. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of people don't understand. Well, well here, a lot of people here, don't understand his value beyond yeah, right. that because of what you just said. Here, here, but people is, who know know that he has first round talent for the, sure. The only the only question for him, right, is. If he does come back and gets picked next year, he's a top five pick versus a late first round pick. People want to say there's not big difference in millions, but there is a significant difference between the money that a top five pick gets and a bottom of a first round pick gets. He's he's not going to be drafted over Akuda this year. No. Next year he comes back, he is the Thorpe Award winner, and he gets the opportunity to play outside. I do think, yes, there is the argument you go get your money. But I do think with the kid that's that talented, let him come back. This is just me speaking. There is a strong argument here 
as to why he should come back. Like, it's not just about being a first-round pick to me, especially with a kid this talented, right? If you have the opportunity to come There's back. There's also the injury risk, though, which also factors in, too. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. always told my players, and what, I, what I've always whenever I've talked to anyone that's played in the NFL, it's always been, if you are a first rounder, that's generational money. You can't turn down Yeah, with the risk of, of, of having a bad year, getting yeah. injured or whatever. You just can't turn it down. And the reality is, uh, is that first contract is peanuts compared to the second contract right. anyways. Yeah. yeah. So he should get, take that generational money and just fast track Start those three crop. years mm-hmm. to get to that second contract. Yeah. And if you yeah. do, if you do well for three years, you're going to get, I mean, that, Top five money's peanuts compared yeah. to what they get. So yeah. one of the things about Ohio State this year that I was impressed with is uh, the depth, right? And I think that's going to bode well for them in the twenty in twenty twenty, and also the recruiting. So I, I just want to get your perspective on that a little bit. Like I said, there are a ton of guys that are leaving. I didn't even mention KJ Hill and Austin Mack. I mean, there's yeah. there's a ton of guys that are leaving, but it appears as though Ohio State has a lot of depth and a good recruiting class. Do you see Ohio State positioned? in 2020 to to make go on another run and, and potentially you know be in this situation again yeah i mean offensively they're going to be loaded um people will talk about master teague and, and i think the biggest concern right now is running back mm-hmm. because as good as jk was i don't think there's a guy on roster that is a national talent yeah um, i love master he runs really hard yeah he's, he's kind of a bruiser he was a great change of pace change guy of pace guy but you look at the receiver core tight ends the o-line coming back is going to be filthy yeah i mean the whole offense is loaded except for that position mm. there's then, a there's a there's an interesting guy in the transfer portal right yeah. now right yeah, very interesting and that, that's going to be the the answer right yeah yeah uh, lorenzo Lingard was the top five star was down to Ohio State in Miami went to Miami like an absolute idiot yeah and now of course he wants to leave it's like no shit Sherlock yeah <laughs> you think he ends up at Ohio State um I you never know I at this point there's stuff, so yeah. many free agents free agency opp- opportunities I don't know how you it don't makes though. the most sense for I don't him. know how it's you perfect don't perfect opp- almost like a perfect opportunity it's no yeah. different than Justin Fields it's right. like Haskins is leaving yeah how could you turn down the keys to that that right. that Maserati right right like yeah. how could right. this kid the not entire Ohio the State? entire O line's coming back. Everyone, yeah. it's loaded. Yeah, the pass game is going to be ridiculous. It's going to open up the run game. The O line's coming. Everything's coming back. Yeah. So I think the offense is going to be loaded. The, the defense has a number of question marks. I mean, the whole secondary, they have talented young kids, but you don't know what that is yet. Yeah. And I've seen it both ways. Right. I've seen the next year where you come out and go, "Holy shit, Malik Hooker, who's that?" <laughs> right. 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 And it's like then all of a sudden you have three first rounders <laughs> right, playing again, and right. that's what Ohio State's done. But I've also seen it where you think you might have that, and you go out and you're like, "That kid's terrible." Yeah. And that's our guy, so yeah. we got to roll with it. Yeah, I have a question for you guys. Like in, in watching the game, like, um, just think: Have you thought about like how much larger the score differential would have been if Justin Fields was healthy enough to run in that game? Yeah, I mean, I think we Ohio State would have con- been able to control the game, uh, the tempo a little bit more too, and and. You know, Justin, there are times when he should have run and he did not run. And I'm like, and that you could tell he was not. Yeah, he was not. Yeah. Well, that's 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 a weapon when at your disposal is is probably it's like a nuclear bomb. And Mm -hmm. you saw it with Clemson. Mm -hmm. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, an extra blocker. And Trevor Lawrence is a a good runner. He's certainly not a four three like Justin Fields. Right. And they still won the game essentially because he could run a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you you add in a dynamic guy like Justin Fields running the ball, that's that's a game changer. One other question before we before we get out of here, too. Um, is the officiating, right? We talked about the officiating, V and I, earlier. You talked about the officiating on your show, Minister Sports. And one of the things that I, I just I wonder, and I think fans wonder, is what happens after, after the game? A game like that where there's there are clear, at least one clear call, and maybe more, that is just wrong. 
and that impacted the game so much. What happens? Do do does does you know? I heard Gene Smith had already you know publicly made a complaint. Basically, do they? Is there a, a discussion? Is there a recourse? What happens? Like what literally happens? Um, in reality, nothing. I mean, what happens is everyone on TV and sh- and radio and podcasts talks about it. Yeah, that's about it. Um, I, within a conference, if a if a if a group of refs or a singular ref ha- be, like develops a track record of fucking games up mm-hmm. they'll get uh demoted or fired or whatever but right. the reality is that's that's so few and far between yeah i mean i used to it used to be funny because every every week during the season uh after the game if there's a missed call or two it's not it doesn't even have to be like outrageous mm-hmm. it's just like if there's a missed call it's more for education purposes you submit it to the big 10 mm-hmm. the big 10 official head official reviews it and gives you a response like yes we missed that call or no we didn't here's our explanation and it's funny because there was there's been game-changing calls that in my career where you submit it and they're like yes we missed the call and you're sitting there like and right, right. <laughs> so now okay. we get to win right. or like we get to go play right. or like, what do you mean yeah and it's like nothing we, we missed it and that's, I, that's the end. And I have, I have a, a question for you because, you know, you coach for, for a, a good length of time, multiple places, where staff at different places. I want to hear kind of what you have to say about these new kind of conference media deals. You have the Big Ten network affiliated with Fox. You have the SEC network and ACC network affiliated with ESPN. How that money has kind of created chaos and and where you see that chaos at yeah yeah it's it's definitely it's it's definitely a conspiracy theorist point of view and you were mentioning earlier i heard you on the show that doesn't mean it's not real Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you've seen number of corruption deals and in in all walks of life where Mm -hmm. you're like prior to finding out that that is going on you're like come on man that shit can't be no way and then you find out you're like holy shit (laughs) right and it all goes back to what you always talk about v which is money yeah money just breeds corruption Mm -hmm. and so it's it's concerning the only the only caveat i think is kirk i saw kirk herbstreet say it and it is true the number one college football team in the country for yielding ratings is ohio state Mm -hmm. has been all year has been really for a long time to think that espn wouldn't want them in the game it would have been it would have increased ratings however much it would have right it would have only yielded more money for them yeah now i get the conference tie-ins right it's definitely concerning but it's yeah. a, it's the world we live in it's like it's like politics now we got fox news and cnn right and, and, we got fox and espn right the, so here the, we go the pushback that i would have there is if clemson doesn't continue to represent the acc in championship games that acc tv deal is essentially worthless Oh, it definitely that, that one. That one specifically. Yes, yeah. right. the SEC one will be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the ACC one. That's for sure. Yeah. So in the short term, yeah, maybe Ohio State boosts ratings in the championship game, but in the long term, Clemson being good and dominant is huge for that for the ACC. Huge. In that in that deal, and it's it, huge for Fox, especially that we've seen all year the competition and how dirty it's gotten between ESPN and Fox. It carried over with the commentary. Some of these guys were irresponsible commentary. Some of these guys were making about Urban and his family afterwards. It's clear that there's been a line in the sand drawn between two big BMS with a lot of money. To think there's not some shady stuff going on when the stakes are this high. You have Chris Fowler. You know, these guys are all... Fuck what Chris Fowler's what, ass. What, what these media entities are supposed to do is give fans an objective platform by which to watch games. And this money and this TV money specifically 
and 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 having ESPN on this side with the SEC and and ACC and Fox on this side with the Big Ten. Insane. It's 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 just not the right way to do things, especially again. And go back to this again when the guys that are doing the work aren't making a dime beyond getting a scholarship that is a sunk cost for a university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, we can talk about that right. over and over, but there is a larger discussion here. Of, no, and we'll continue to have that discussion yes. and, and, and flesh that out because I do think that it what you're saying, it has a huge impact impact on college football as a whole, not just this particular game, but even where it goes, where it's going to go. Uh, one thing I need, I need to point out from last show Give you guys your props for the uh, Oklahoma LSU pick. I was very, very wrong in that game. <laughs> Although I will say this: that pass interference call that they missed when it was fourteen to seven. If if Oklahoma, if they call that, that the momentum of that game could have been different. You're reaching after you are that. Reaching right now. I'm just saying that it was it was fourteen seven. It looked like Oklahoma was getting something. You know, they looked like they were getting in the groove. They still probably would have got their ass kicked, but I at, mean, at least at least it would have been something. That was a very bad call the, that they the, missed. The, that was the, very bad. The issue here is that there needs to be a Big Twelve conference ban <laughs> until they learn how to play defense better than the junior high team. Yeah, and, and that's the are thing. And, about and you know what? And, and and actually, Zach, that brings me to another point that we had talked about on the previous show which you hammered home very early, and I think it was spot on, and it showed its ass this weekend. Whoever, that chain, flipping of Ohio State and LSU from f- first seed sec- to second seed. Ridiculous. Was that, that, that like may end up being the most important story here because imagine if Ohio State was one and they had to play Oklahoma, and then and LSU had to play Clemson. I'm telling you, that it, was the hardest road by far. Whoever had smoke. to win, but it changed the outcome of who would be the national champ. A hundred percent. Because you're watching now. Now, in my opinion, Clemson and Ohio State are the best two teams. Now, the one thing that is changing that dynamic right now is that Clemson just was in a heavyweight title bout, yes. and LSU was not. Right. And so now you're going to have a fresher LSU team, and they got banged up. Clemson guys were getting banged up. All oh, game and they too. talked about it in all their post game message, yeah. post game interviews. Mm-hmm. It was just like even the next day talking about how sore they were. They've never been in a game like that before. Yeah. And they they put the national championship game in the semifinals. Yeah. yeah. And now you're going to have a kind of a bruised up Clemson team going to take on LSU. Now it's more equated. Now yeah. I, I I can't say at home Clemson's. they're playing LSU at they're going they're going to uh, it's a home game it, for LSU. Pretty much, right? yeah. Yeah, the, the reality the is, if Ohio State beats Oklahoma, goes to the Superdome and plays the winner of the LSU-Clemson game, it's, you're looking at a fresh Ohio State team yeah. playing a, a beaten-up uh, two- or three-seed. Yeah. It, it, it's a whole different narrative. And that's yeah. the thing that you know I think we'll, we'll always shed light on here on this show, too, is because people – it's not – and that's those are like kind of the things at the margins that I always like to talk about that people don't you know want to discuss – but that that decision that they made, the college football playoff committee made to flip Ohio State and LSU in that moment, literally could change the the future of of these programs and 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 the future of kind of college football. And it's it's crazy that they have that much power to do something like that. And I didn't go so crazy about it when they flipped them, but a lot of people did. And you know, you beat we Ohio State beat three top fifteen teams in a row essentially, including that game. And Wisconsin was a team that they had already had to play. And I think Wisconsin was ranked like number eight at that point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they had a tough first half, but they came back and dominated like a championship team does. And LSU beat a uh, overrated Georgia team pretty badly, and they flip them. And now here's the result that we get. So again, that doesn't mean Ohio State couldn't have won this game. It doesn't mean Ohio State shouldn't have won this game. 
But I'm just saying there are a lot of different things that played into the fact that this is the result. And that's, that we you know, had. when you talk about conspiracy theorists, like if you break this thing down as a conspiracy, there's a lot of smoke that you can you can point to. Right. And that's what makes this interesting. And that's also what's going to continue to make create more ratings and, and generate more money is is the conflict around the result of this game. Right. Right. Exactly. And so one last thing, Zach, I'm going to get you out out of here on this is, you know, looking for again for Ohio State fans. You know, it was obviously a great season, but a disappointing type of ending. And we talked a little bit about this earlier when I was asking about, you know, what is the outlook for 2020 and with guys leaving and so on and so forth. But one question I want to talk about specifically is Ryan Day, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, first of all, I want to give a shout out to him as an Ohio State fan because he, I mean, he delivered an amazing season, not just, you know, with the end result, but literally X's and O's, in-game, coaching decisions, things that you're like, wow, that dude is special. That's not just yeah. a guy who's benefiting from having great talent, right? What are your thoughts on him as a coach, um, the, the positives, uh, maybe any negatives, and how you see this program moving forward based on what you've seen? I think yeah, you're, you're, you're watching the young career of a Hall of Fame coach unfold. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, wow. I, I've, I've echoed, or I talked to, uh, got Jeremy Birmingham, who's with, uh, I think, uh, land of 10. It doesn't matter. He, he's, a been a behind the scenes, uh, reporter for Ohio state recruiting and really Ohio state football for a long time. And I used to talk to him all the time. And I told him, uh, a year before I got fired that Ryan day was probably the best coach I've ever been around. And I praised him. And he wow. even mentioned, he came on my show and he said, when I heard you talk about him several times, I was like, that's when I completely wrote my narrative that this is this is the best coach in the country mm. because he is and and what I what didn't, is it about him that makes him that um you know what I think it's just his uh he has a unique ability he's first of all he's brilliant I don't mm. think you can coach or that, you know yeah. yeah I don't know if you can reach that level of success without being but he he's brilliant but he also has a unique ability to um make decisions that that are for the greater good and to progress forward. Right. And that is with players, that is with scheme, that is with recruiting, that is with coaching staff. I mean, the stuff he's done since he was hired, firing the defensive coaches, who he brought in. Right. He's about to make another one. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know this for fact, but it's almost fact. With Mike Yurick leaving for Texas, he's going to hire Corey Dennis yeah. to be the quarterback coach. And when he does, that will be the most epic hire that a coach has made at that level to hire mm. basically an unproven, yeah. never been a full-time coach. Yeah. But I know Corey very well. I heard he's a stud, man. Absolute freaking stud. Yeah. And he's going to coach the position that Ryan essentially coaches anyways. Right. It's going to be a home run hire. Mm. And no one else in the country would make that hire. Right. So just the decisions that he makes where it's like, I don't really care what you think. Right. I can see the big picture. This is what I'm doing. Right. It's like, wow, you're going to fire the whole defensive staff and <laughs> – bring in two guys from Michigan and this random guy from from uh, the NFL no right. one knows about. And all of a sudden, it's like, this guy's the head coach of Boston College, best defense in the country. Like <laughs> right. You just look at it, you're like, my God. Right. And, and, then, and, and then his recruiting class. Yeah. Just everything is like, this is this is on fire. Yeah. One thing, one thing that I, I like seeing in Ryan, too, is this isn't just some miracle that happened. Like, if you look at his resume, NFL experience, college experience, like, he built a network at all levels here at a very young age Mm. to know what he wants. Um, And I think that that's another thing. It's like, he's not just some young lucky guy here. He actually went through some work to get here and and learned a lot from a lot of obviously working under urban was, was a huge deal too. And and as well as he made those decisions as the head coach at Ohio state, that he made those calculated decisions in his career. Mm -hmm. Like when him and I talked about why he went to the NFL, because he was always a college guy, played college football, coached college football, never 
even sniff the NFL. Yeah. But he went to work with Chip Kelly for two years, and he told me the, the sole reason why is I didn't want to do anything else except for hone my craft developing quarterback fundamentals. Mm. For two years, he did nothing, sun up to sundown, except study the position, study the mechanics of the quarterback. And you're watching Dwayne Haskins. You're watching Justin Fields. It's like, that is so calculated and well thought out. And here we are. And it's funny because, you know, and I think in all walks of life, when you see that level of genius and you go deeper and you go into the story, you're going to hear something like that in the story that's going to separate them from everybody else. So I'm looking forward to it as an Ohio State fan. Obviously, 2019 didn't end the way that we wanted it to, but the good news is that there's always 2020. Here we are. Matter of fact, Happy New Year. It's our first show of the year. Uh, thanks for joining us, obviously. Yeah, Happy New Make Year. sure you guys check out Zach Smith's podcast, Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere. And we will be right back with some more thoughts. Happy New Year. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. V, this has been a kind of a crazy week as Browns fans, right? You know, yeah. the Browns played their last game of the season this past weekend, lost to the worst team in the NFL in the Cincinnati Bengals, and it wasn't even close. Um, they were getting smashed around. Baker Mayfield was getting in fights with fans, you know, either pregame or halftime at some point. That was just ridiculous. He's so hard to root for. It, it was just the whole the whole meltdown. You yeah. the season that we all believed, even people who didn't like Browns who are not Browns fans believed before the season started that this was a playoff caliber team, that they had a very legitimate shot of winning the division. Now the season ends and the Browns are six and ten. They just fired their head coach. They just fired their GM and John Dorsey. It looks seems like they're restructuring from the ground up. Where do we go from here as Cleveland Browns fans <laughs> and people who root for the Browns? Well, where we go from here is just close your eyes <laughs> and pray and pray <laughs> and and open them and say, "Hey, who's the coach? Who's the GM?" <laughs> right. Because it seems like we have this same story every freaking year. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is this organization doing? Mm-hmm. Right? That's the question you have as fans and you know we've talked about this and we had Jason on um talking about the difference between the Browns and Ravens and we talk about the covenant with fans mm-hmm. like it's like this comes down to does this organization give a damn about what we're going through mm-hmm. right and are they ever going to put a plan in place like i completely understand there's no reason not to fire Freddie Kitchens. Mm-hmm. But why do we have an organization in place that Freddie Kitchens could have been hired uh, in the first place? 100%. The writing was on yep. the fucking wall. The yep. guy had never coached. He was a QB coach at Alabama, called plays for four games at the NFL level. And you say, hey, by the way, buddy, <laughs> you're the you're you're the head coach of the Cleveland fucking Browns. With all of this talent, here are the keys. And the and, and that's why people can people want to talk about the John Dorsey firing, because I think that goes hand in hand there. I know that's going to be more polarizing amongst the fan base because he did do some good things. He did things. do some good things, personnel-wise especially. Personnel-wise, he made some moves. He was aggressive. 
Nick Chubb. We have to thank him for that for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's because he's the best running back we've had since Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did draft Baker Mayfield in a draft with Lamar Jackson and Kyle Allen. Josh Allen. Josh Allen, not Kyle Allen. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And he has hired Freddie Kitchens. That was his. That was his downfall. Right decision. There. And you know these guys like the greats. They all have fucking their Achilles. And I think his is ego. He yeah. hired a guy that he wanted to be a kingmaker instead of just going to the well and saying, "Hey, I'm going to hire an experienced guy." Right. He wanted to make a king. Yeah, and also maybe have more control too. Because when you hire a guy like that. You're the boss. He's not the fucking oh, boss. Oh, he was his bitch. Right. You know, like, he, he owed everything he got to John Dorsey. Yeah. Right? Because Kitchens knew he wasn't going to be a... He didn't think he was going to be a head coach, maybe for another five, six years. Yeah. If if that. Right? And that's why you can't blame, blame Freddie Kitchens. And that's one of the things that bothered me about one of these local Cleveland media stations. I can't remember which one it was, but they posted a picture of John Dorsey... Or not John Dorsey, of Kitchens walking out as he was fired, like, holding his belongings. and like, you motherfuckers. It's like, not fair to the guy. Yeah. What they did was they put, you know what they what we always say, we said this uh, about presidents sometimes, they put them in position to fail. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't put in a position to win. Well, I mean, the, the, he, he was put in the position, if he had the skill set and, you know, had the ability, he was put in a, in a great position is, given this, the talent. I agree with you, but yeah. let's, let's you know, we talk about context, and you always talk about this, mm-hmm. but let's talk about in this specific situation why he was an atrocious hire. Yeah. Oh, I think he was a bad hire. No, no, and, and why John Dorsey is to blame for that hire mm-hmm. and doesn't get any excuses. Mm-hmm. If you are going to trade to win now, mm-hmm. you bring in Odell Beckham, mm-hmm. you bring in Sheldon Richardson, yeah. You trade for Olivier Vernon, mm-hmm. you know, and you then know these personalities exist. You know Odell Beckham's history. Mm-hmm. You know who Baker Mayfield is mm-hmm. and all these personalities, and you put this guy yeah. in charge. Yeah. Like, it is the most atrocious thing that you And that's the reason have. why. So let's talk about that, too, because, you know, who's next, right? Because at the end of the day, there's Cleveland Browns are still littered with talent. Right, they have a ton of probably the most talent that they've had in, in in many many decades, and they have, I think, you know, even despite my my beats with Baker Mayfield, I still think they have enough to be a very competitive team. They've shown that before in the past that they have that even with him. Maybe he's not a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but even with him, he's a quarterback that can do something. The question is, who is the person that you want to bring in next? For me, I wanted Ron Rivera badly because yeah. I feel like based on what you just said. The type of person or personality that you need in there is a disciplinarian, is a no-nonsense type of guy, a guy who can relate to players, but a guy who's not going to let the players run the show. And, of course, you know, he got away to Washington. There's still some other names out there. Who do you see? Where do you want this thing to go? Well, it's interesting, you know. Um, in my evaluation of, of the GM position, I would love to see Urban Meyer in that role. Hmm. Mm. Because I think the thing that Urban knows how to do is be a CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, he knows how to evaluate talent. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the NFL and look at all the guys from his program, both at Florida and Ohio State, and right. even Utah. Right, right. Yeah. That 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 have done well. I was iffy about him as a coach, mm-hmm. but I think this is a perfect situation. Right, he's he does have a, a, a cyst on his his brain. Um, and there are some X's and O's things from college to 
the NFL that I think his his game plan doesn't necessarily fit and he would have to make a lot of adjustments. But as a GM, as a CEO, look, he's he got Ryan Day at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You look at these coaches that have come through Ohio State and you look at his influence with Dan Mullen here and his coaching tree. It says hire fucking so, Urban so, Meyer. So let's talk for about that, that for a second because I think you know, in some ways, I've heard people. I've, there's been a big discussion on social media about Urban, not necessarily as a GM, more so as a coach. But mo- a lot of people have been saying, "Ah, oh, the Browns hiring Urban Meyer would be a great move." And then the other side, people are saying this would be typical fucking Browns hiring a coach that's never done it before. And then in this instance, in your scenario, be hiring a GM that's never necessarily done it before. But at the end of the day, some you know, a lot of these guys. How do you be a GM if you've never been a GM? You you had to start somewhere. So what are the things that you actually look for that you think will make a great GM? Because some of the, you pointed to some of those things already. Yeah, I mean, I think there's 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 res, a respect level, right, that mm-hmm. Urban has objectively as a football mind um, and as a talent evaluator, right? That's the number one thing that you need to have as a GM is how do you evaluate talent? Mm-hmm. And then two, how do you develop talent mm-hmm. for the NFL level? The thing that Urban's proved is that his guys, you can say what you want about like how they perform at Ohio State, but once they get to the NFL, they're trained better, mm-hmm. they're be- they're, they, they, they understand the game better, mm-hmm. and it's shown in the last few years. Well, I think that you know, Urban Meyer is a name that, you know, I think everybody who has any type of vacancy should be considering. No, right? and also here's the other part, is he understands and is privy to, as an Ohio guy, mm-hmm. right? I do think there is somebody... Whoever comes in has to really, really understand the soul of the Browns, the soul right? of the, the history, Browns, yeah. and the history, and what this franchise means. Right. Because, and then let him hire the coach, mm. right? Let him because he's shown that he can go find good coaches. Yeah. At every position, every level. Yeah. Just don't. He can be overbearing as a coach mm-hmm. and 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 run thin, but as a GM, it seems like give, especially with what we've seen from this ownership group, they yeah. don't really seem to know what they're doing. Well, it's interesting because I think that they, in this particular instance, I think for them to make that move now, they must have a plan. Not necessarily a plan that I have a lot of faith in, not a plan that I know if it's going to work, but they must have a plan. And maybe they are, maybe they are looking in that direction because to to fire your coach and your GM, they must have a a plan. I mean, shit, you better have a plan because this, this season rolls around real quick and OTAs are going to be here real quick. And you have a team that's built to win now Mm -hmm. too. So, Here's what the combine's next month. The draft is a month and a half after that. You better have yeah. a fucking plan. I mean, and and, and just the, the the politics and PR. I do think. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems like Browns fans and Ohio fans. If the Haslam said, "Hey, we're bring we're giving the keys to this to this this team to Urban Meyer," I don't think there's much better that you can do from a PR standpoint. Yeah, well, I think it gives. And part of what Browns fans, I don't know if I just we, want every some. year, we, we kind of get sucked in every year. But one thing that we definitely do need is hope, right? And we need something that gives us an idea that there is some uh, uh, you know, exciting future that's coming. And I think a, a hire like that, I, I agree with you, I think a hire like that would make a splash. Com- combined with, and, and, and we saw this at Ohio State, and we've talked about this a lot, is... A young guy that's not a punk, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, a young coach who's not a punk. Mm-hmm. So the guy that I really like that I've seen as a coach, he hasn't proven anything at the NFL level, but if you have Urban standing above him and we get a guy like Matt Rule from Baylor, mm. you know, I think that would be a good hire. Ron Rivera, you mentioned, yeah. 
would have been ideal. But the, the college coach thing is always tricky, though. Like, it, yeah. it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, you know? And it's kind of like you are taking a gamble. But I guess whoever you bring, the only kind of... And the other guy that I like mm-hmm. is the defensive coordinator from the 49ers because I love watching that guy more than I like watching the 49ers. <laughs> watching that guy's passion on the sideline. Run up and down the side, yeah. He is a, he is a beast. Yeah. So Josh McDaniels is one of the names we're hearing. I don't, I don't. Mike McCarthy. I'm not so excited about it, but you know, I understand, you know, bringing in someone who's won before and who's used to winning, used to, uh, you know, kind of being in that situation. There is value to that, and I think on some level, maybe now is not the time to experiment. You know, like you said, and I'm not saying that the urban and rural are necessarily experiments, but for, but. To a certain degree, they are. Maybe it is better to bring in a guy uh, you like McCarthy or someone who's won before. Yeah, Rule is, you know, let me walk that one back. I think now's not the time to yeah. hire somebody like Rule. But somebody like Robert Sella at, at, at the 49ers who has a visible personality, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. what, what, you know, Greg Robinson got out of the team last year was because the guy was fired up. Yeah. Kitchens is standing on the sideline. Like, well, that's the other thing, too, is that, believe it or not, the Browns' job right now is actually a pretty well, good job. It's, yeah. it's not, yeah, there's organizational issues and there's stuff like that, and you have to worry about being fired after every season. And managing guys like Odell and Baker. But, but but the thing is, is you talk to most people, Odell's not even really a problem. You yeah, know? he hasn't seemed to be really yeah. a problem this so, year. So it's it, when you have that amount of talent on that team, you know, and you're a coach, I mean, you got to be salivating at the mouth. Yes, there are going to be other things about it that you don't like, Maybe you don't even like the city and or whatever or what you hear about the organization, but I think that you could suck those things up if you get that type of the, opportunity. The, the, the rumor mill is Josh McDaniels, right? Mm. That's what they're saying is the priority hire because of his history developing. Like he didn't develop Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Like let's 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 stop there. Yeah, he already got a job in Denver that he failed at. Right, right. And on top of that, he has shown how wishy washy he is. Like what he did to the Colts organization last year. That isn't the guy that you bring in and say, hey, here are the keys to the castle because of the uncertainty of his history. Well, here's the other thing, too, that I think, you know, um, we'll be on watch for is now that you fire the GM and you fire the coach, how is this process going to work? Are you you can't really hire a coach before you hire a GM. And in theory, that GM should be the one who's at least involved. Give the keys to fucking Urban Meyer, Cleveland. (laughs) And I think we will get out of here on that. Give the keys to fucking Urban Meyer, Cleveland. You heard it here first from V. When we get back from break, uh, we'll talk Lakers. We'll talk LeBron. We'll talk LeBron being named AP Male Athlete of the Decade. You definitely don't want to miss that. And one more time, V, say it for him one more time. Give the keys to fucking Urban Meyer. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. V, let's talk some LeBron James. When don't we talk about LeBron? Well, you know, it's funny. You know, we've been doing this show for almost two months now. This is probably the first time we've even mentioned his name. I think, obviously, 
you know, for me, and I said this on Twitter, kind of tongue in cheek. Basketball season doesn't start for me until the until Ohio State loses, Ohio State football loses. So it really doesn't start for me until like March. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's eighty two games in a season, but you know, LeBron obviously is an Ohio kid. We have a relationship, you know, with him, and and we always kind of will be connected to LeBron some way, shape, or form. And even Ohio State is connected to LeBron. And you know, the, this past week uh, was his thirty fifth birthday. But the big happy news, that, yeah, happy birthday, LeBron. But the big news is that he was named AP Male Athlete of the Decade. And, you know, it might just seem like one of those, you know, other awards that you just kind of hear about and you just, you know, kind of move on or whatever. But I kind of think being named, the, you know, Athlete of the Decade is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, especially when you consider the people who were, you know, behind him. I mean, you had Tom Brady, who they said was a distant second. Um, then you had Usain Bolt. Uh, you had Messi. And the fifth one, for some reason, I just cannot remember who the fifth person was. But was it Federer? I hope it was Federer. I mean, it seems like it would be Federer, but um, I think when I hear it, it doesn't. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be Federer. That's disappointing. But you know, you look back at the whole. You know, and you look back at the whole decade, and you say, okay, wow, early two thousand and tens. You know, the move, the decision. You know, and then he moves to Miami, uh, leaves the Cavs. You know, he struggles the first year, but then he wins two championships, and then. And then, oh yeah, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps was was uh, fifth. Um, and uh, you know, so you kind of think about, you know, the impact of of LeBron. Uh, obviously, as a basketball player, what he's what he's done, but the things off the court. I went and tried to kind of look up the criteria to what they use to determine, and it doesn't really seem like there's criteria. It just seems like there's just voters that yeah. vote on it. And uh, I think the AP is a U.S. based. He's U.S. based. It is. So, what do you think about it? When you know, when you hear, okay, LeBron won, you hear that Tom Brady was second, but he was a distant second, like That's, not even close. What, what are your thoughts uh, on that? I, I think it's very. This is why it's disappointing to me. First of all, I love LeBron, respect LeBron. Early on in my life, he helped me make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> How so? How so? Tell people that. <laughs> so you got to tell people more on that story. When I was getting my MBA in Cleveland. Um, the Cavs made the first finals. I used to do all of the parties for the players and LeBron would always come out, show love, never charge an appearance fee. Yeah. It was great. I Those remember. parties were fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, just seeing the impact that he had on the community. I just always, always will respect him. Doesn't mean that I don't have critiques of him as a player, mm-hmm. but I think, um, when you look at this thing objectively, it's like, this is so unfair to so many people. Um, LeBron plays a team sport. Um, to not even mention a guy like Ronaldo, who, if you look at his Twitter following, Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, he has 200 million followers. Mm-hmm. LeBron has 50 million. Sometimes I get bothered a little bit when we don't give these guys the credit they deserve. Well, what are his accolades, though? What are the accolades that you think, like Cristiano Ronaldo? He's been had? named the, the the Balloon d'Or Player of the Year multiple times. Mm-hmm. He took Portugal to the um, the UEFA Championship. Um, he's, he's dominated at every level, um, in, in a sport like soccer, like he is the Michael Jordan of soccer, him, we're witnessing with him and Messi, two of the greatest soccer players in the history of the world. And it's not saying that I'm taking anything away from LeBron, Mm -hmm. but I just think that sometimes, and then Usain Bolt too, it's like, he is unequivocally the fastest man in the world. And no one has ever run faster than him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I just want to know how they measured. If we're talking about influence off the court, all that stuff, LeBron has lost some championships. Mm-hmm. You know, he has won. He delivered a championship with Cleveland, which obviously 
gives him a level up. I just would like to know why, how they so evaluate. So some of the things they it. mentioned in the article, and this wasn't necessarily. And Federer is my number one, personal number one for the decade. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> Federer, Nadal, all, all. I mean, those guys. Djokovic, like these guys, guys. What we're seeing in tennis, the <clears throat> dominance. If we're talking about dominance within their sport, mm. Federer has been more dominant in tennis. Djokovic has been more dominant in tennis, but not for a de- not Djokovic for a decade. Federer maybe for a decade. Well, the two thousand tens have really probably been more Djokovic's decade. The most more recent part of Djokovic. More, yeah, more yeah. recent part of, of the two thousand. But Federer, we're talking like I always say in terms of dominant athletes that we've seen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Number one, Michael Jordan. Number two, Roger Federer, and number three, Tiger Woods. Mm. Yeah. Like in turn, when you start talking about, and then obviously you have to understand that I give a little bit more credit to guys who get it done in an individual sport at yeah. that level, yeah, than they do at a team sport level. But again, I'm I I respect the decision. LeBron has been great for the sport of basketball. Yeah, um, I think media has changed a lot the way we kind of view things, right? So I think before media kind of took over. Uh, and social media also, it, you, people were analyzing things a little bit more themselves, right? It was kind of like, what did I see? What did I actually watch and see as they're watching the sport in the moment? Now you have a lot of people who are actually even commenting on games or situations that they didn't even watch. They didn't watch it. They just saw what so-and-so said or what such-and-such reported. They might have seen a clip. They might have seen a highlight. And then they make their whole analysis on the situation based on something they, they didn't even see. It's like, their their opinions are not coming from what they're seeing, right? And so I think also now in the social media age, there's so many things that we're also more privy to than we were before, right? Like now, there you know, guys have always been philanthropists, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm not taking anything away from LeBron, but I say that to say, you know, like the fact that he started at school, the I Promise School in Akron, a huge deal. It's an unbelievable accomplishment, unbelievable achievement with great intentions behind it. But the media has covered that so much now to where everybody knows about it. It's part of his legacy. You can't mention LeBron, really, without mentioning those type of things. LeBron is special for this reason. And one of the things that stands out to me is he knows how to be the number one topic of discussion at all times. He knows how to manipulate the media and not let the media manipulate him. Even when they're knocking him, Mm -hmm. he knows that the value that that's creating and he's actually a media entity himself. Mm-hmm. So that's what he's done. He's creating narratives mm-hmm. and helping influence the narrative around him, which which obviously helps mm-hmm. um, a great deal and something that, you know, you have to look at and respect, yeah. right? I mean, I think, and that's the thing is that, so you look at him now and you look at, you know, like you said, narratives. There are certain narratives that follow LeBron. You know, one of them is obviously... You know the fact that he was young, and when he got when he got to high school, and he's kind of or when he came to the NBA from high school, and he's kind of lived up to that. And then the fact that he went to Miami and won, and then came back home as like the golden son and won one in Cleveland, which has never been done. And then the fact that he's like I said, all the things that he's done. Man, he's the-, the only child star that's never had a breakdown, right? Right. Like that's that's huge. Yeah. Like he's never had a lapse. Like he's been consistently no scandals. You know, never been punished for you know steroids or HGA. injury. Not, no not, major injury issues except for last year. So I think that also factors it into it too, right? The, kind of the Iron Man aspect of this thing yeah. as well is that a guy who's lasted that long 
uh, who's played that long and given us so many moments, eight straight finals, even though he didn't win them all, right? He went to eight straight yeah. in the 2010s. He won an Olympic gold medal. He's won multiple um, MVPs. Like, he's he's given us so many. You can't he, really mention the 2010s de- without talking about Yeah, LeBron. he definitely has an argument, but what bothered me is when I went down that list and I didn't see these guys. Yeah. Like Federer, like if we're really measuring athletes for success in their sport, like mm-hmm. I know tennis isn't the most popular sport in America, but right. how difficult it is to be that dominant at that sport is 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 very underestimated. And what Federer has done, we've never seen in the history of tennis ever. Yeah. He's in his late thirties. Most tennis players' careers end at thirty. Yeah, no, Federer. I think, and that's again when you're talking about these things too. Uh, a lot of times you're splitting hairs, right? Uh, but he it, wasn't even. But he in wasn't the top. even on the list, right? Yeah, that's no, my issue. Exactly. So, I, so you know, and that's one thing about LeBron. You know, this, is, and I guess this isn't just about LeBron. Then, right? You're, you know, because like I said, Federer, Federer not being on the list has nothing to do with LeBron, right? No, just, it doesn't. It's not LeBron's fault. Yeah. Right? I'm not. Try, I'm not blaming <laughs> I, LeBron. I, for I know. Yeah. I, I know. But it's it, so it's just you know, and all these lists and stuff like that, they're flawed. You're talking about people who vote, and you have no idea what motivations are anything they have when, when they're voting. But nonetheless, he was named AP Male Athlete of the Decade. Huge accomplishment. Shout out to Serena Williams, who was named AP Female there's, Athlete there's of the Decade. There's not much of a discussion in that one. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, so, so she's a beast. But when we get back from break, we'll actually talk to a Lakers fan about LeBron. And I think... I think it's a good thing because, you know, as as us, you know, we're we're LeBron fans and Ohio boys and we wanted to see LeBron stay and succeed here forever. And he left and went to L.A. And, you know, you can't really blame him sometimes, but it still hurts. And we would still like to see him in the Cavs uniform, especially when you watch the Cavs play now. And the Lakers didn't fans didn't really embrace him all all the way altogether. And that also was annoying for us as well. It would be it would have been more acceptable it's, it's hard for, us, for he, us as Ohio people. Right. And what we represented to hear about a guy like LeBron going Hollywood. We want him to ourselves. Yes. The blue collar Midwest. Exactly. And mentality. if he's going to go somewhere, we would want him to go somewhere where we think that, pe- that he was unanimously going to be embraced. And we know he's not. So when yeah. we get back from break, we'll talk to a Lakers fan uh, about that, about their journey with LeBron, about whether they embrace him, whether they don't embrace him, whether they liked it, whether they didn't like it. And uh, we'll talk some more LeBron when we get back. Thanks for listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Spotify and follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Pilot Boys on YouTube. Don't forget, sharing is caring. So, V, we've been talking about LeBron. You know, LeBron is always a hot topic. Uh, you know, if you watch, you One know, of any of these polarizing shows. people in sports. Yeah, you watch any of these shows, literally, I mean, Three times a week, they have a topic that's related to LeBron. Most of them are dumb topics. But this one is actually a, a fairly interesting topic. If you're a sports fan, LeBron James was just named AP Male Athlete of the Decade. And that's, you know, I mean, maybe there are politics involved. Maybe there's bias involved. Maybe there's, you know, United States bias involved, which we'll talk about and we've talked about. Um, but he was named AP male athlete of, of the decade, and they said that the voting wasn't even close. Tom Brady was second, I believe. Usain Bolt third. Uh, Lionel Messi was fourth, and uh, fifth. Fifth is escaping. I just, I just would like to know what they measured it by. Yeah, I tried to look it up and see, and it didn't. They didn't. I didn't really see the criteria, but they said that it was in a landslide. So we actually have, um, you know, as as LeBron fans, you know, and Cavaliers fans, and Ohio fans. You know, LeBron leaving us to go to the Lakers was was frustrating. And um, so we wanted to actually bring in someone who's a Lakers fan, one of our friends, William Guilford, an attorney at law, 
who's been a lifelong Lakers fan, and just kind of get his perspective on that. William, are you there? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, how are you, man? What's up, V? What's up, I'm man? good. Hey, well, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. You know, we've had many, many, many discussions over the years about LeBron and LeBron versus Kobe, LeBron versus Jordan. Right. And it never really occurred to me that we would ever have this kind of conversation where it's LeBron is now a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. I never even thought that, that would happen. You probably did not either. And uh, so it was interesting for us, the fact that we've had these conversations and that we're Ohio fans and you've been a lifelong Lakers fan. It just makes it even more interesting. So first question I have for you is, you know, as as a Lakers fan, what was it like when you first heard that LeBron was coming to the Lakers? Was it happiness? Was it what was the feeling that you had? All right. So, I mean, the rumors, the rumors were out there for a while uh, that LeBron might be coming to the Lakers and all this and that. So it wasn't it wasn't quite a surprise when I heard it, but I can't say that I was terribly happy about it. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, and that's you know that's just coming from it was it was an awkward move I think uh, you know by LeBron uh, just him coming to the to the Lakers. I mean, you know, look, you know, this day and age, you know, people people follow players, they become fans of players. I mean, like I've always said this that the NBA doesn't have a fan base; they have a stand base, right? Mm. So. It's like, you know, you have your favorite player and that's who you follow. That's who you root for. So for the past, I'd say, 15 years or so, it's been kind of the media and fans have been playing up this whole LeBron versus Kobe rivalry. And that, as such, you know, LeBron's probably the people who are, uh, you know, you know, his his biggest rivalry is Kobe and Lakers fans. Mm-hmm. So and so because they're both what LeBron's, you know, they're, Kobe is are fighting, you know, each other and and. and in history, uh, in historical measures, uh, who's the post-Jordan greatest of all time? Right. Who's post-Jordan goat? Right. Right. So, uh, so yeah. So it, you know, I wasn't terribly happy. I thought it was an awkward move. It's kind of like Larry Bird coming to the Lakers in the in the eighties or the nineties. Yeah. You know, that's how it felt. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, but you know, look, look, and and LeBron didn't do a press conference and all that when he came to LA. I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, but. You, you know, you know, everybody likes LeBron as a, as a person, as a human being, as a man. I mean, he's a good guy, uh, you know, but on basket, you know, when it comes to basketball, like he was our rival, he was yeah. our rival. And now here he comes, he's joining up with us. Uh, but so now, I'm, I'm so, now to it. so now how do you look at it? Because now he's there, yeah. right? You guys are obviously, you have Anthony Davis, there are other pieces of the puzzle. Now it seems as though your team is kind of coming together and taking shape. And now there's there seems to be a, a lot of excitement in L.A. Have you bought into that yet, or are you still kind of reserved? What are your feelings about him being on the team now? Now that now that that's happened, yeah, I mean it's 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 great now. I, I mean right now is you know everything is 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 good. LeBron is winning. It, you know it, it looks like it looks like his plan, the, the Lakers' plan to add him to the team and to get AD uh, following that you know, is, might work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but with all that said. Uh, at the end of the day, he still has to win a championship, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, he has to win one. Uh, you know, I don't even say he has to win two. I just say he has to win one. If he wins one, uh, the move was well worth it. It was it was a great move, um, and everybody's happy. And LeBron <laughs> can officially put himself uh, in the conversation of greatest of all time, in my opinion. Well, I, I, I have a question for you. It would, did you want Kawhi to come to the Lakers, or did you think that that would have just been competitively unfair uh, as a as a as a fan, right? Like we grew up right. in like the the nineties two thousand era where there was more competition, and 
guys didn't just right. join teams um, full of superstars. Did you want Kawhi to come, um, or or what were your feelings on that? Man, I really wanted Kawhi to come to the Lakers. <laughs> I really, I, I I wanted Kawhi, and and and, you, and this is another thing here. It's another aspect of of LeBron that I think is 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 a thing. I think had LeBron not been here, I think Kawhi would have would have come right mm-hmm. this this summer. Yeah. So you know you could take that you could take that however you want, and that's another that's another feeling I have. So that's that's why I say the standard for LeBron is really high. He has to win the championship or else it's a failure because uh, I think we would have had Paul George and, and Kawhi had LeBron not come here, but now we have now we have LeBron and AD. But from a competitive standpoint, like yeah, that team would have been crazy unfair. Uh, LeBron, AD, and, and Kawhi, but. I mean, as, as a Laker fan, having Kawhi there on the team and, <laughs> yeah. and being able to root for that guy, man, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you guys have been through some down years, so I guess I guess that is, that is understandable. <laughs> and so one other thing, too, you know, I've, and we've always wondered this, you know, when we, <clears throat> when LeBron first went there, you know, there were a lot, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, him, some people saying, oh, he's automatically the greatest Laker ever now, you know, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I used to piss off a lot of Lakers fans. What do you mm-hmm. think he has to do? Uh, to to be considered not necessarily the best Laker ever, right? Because you guys have some amazing. He's uh, never going to be the best Laker. He doesn't have enough time to be yeah. the best Laker. Ever. But what does he have to do to start inserting himself in that conversation and really get you know capture the hearts of Lakers fans? Well, look, I, I mean, if he wins one, if he wins one more championship, give him that gives him four for his career, uh, uh, and one with three different and, and a championship with three different teams. Uh, that'll that puts him, I think, in in the goat conversation, and that clearly puts him ahead of Kobe uh, in the hierarchy, in in the overall hierarchy of NBA players, right? Mm. I, I think right now, and I know this, most a lot of people say that he's already above Kobe. That's just not my opinion. I just think he's 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 low him in that in that in in the overall ranking. But in order for him to get on the the, the Lakers, uh, I mean, he, if he wins one championship, I think he gets on the Lakers Mount Rushmore. Uh, can he be considered the greatest, uh, you know, and, and I say that just because, you know, of his whole body of work right. and the fact that he won a championship with the Lakers. I mean, the, the man's body of work is going to be, is, is already crazy. It's going to be ridiculous at the end of his career. Uh, and then you add another championship with the Lakers to that, then yeah, he gets, I think he gets on the Lakers route, Mount Rushmore. Uh, but you know, being the greatest Laker of all time, nah, you can't, you can't put him ahead of uh magic Kobe and green. So let me ask you, you can't do it no so matter let me, what. Let me ask you kind of the flip side question too. Then let's say he never mm-hmm. wins a championship with the Lakers. Let's say, you know, he gets closer. Let's say yeah. they lose to the, to the Clippers, God forbid to, for a Lakers yeah. fan, but let's say they lose to them in the Western conference finals this year. Let's just say Kawhi is always in the way, or they just never get it done. How how do you think then this move will be viewed, kind of by Lakers fans, and and what what do you think the response will be there? See, if, see, in my opinion, if LeBron doesn't win a championship, that's when that's how things get really interesting. That's when things get really crazy, really interesting. Fans start fighting, all this stuff. I think if LeBron wins the championship, everybody's good, everybody's happy. Uh, but if he if he doesn't then yeah he's not you can't you you know it's it's a failure the move to la is you know la picking him up i think is a failure we we could have had Kawhi, and then if Kawhi ends up beating him and then when winning another championship then it kind of looks like Kawhi has his number mm. and you and, and and then you start then you start having to ask yourself is Kawhi better than LeBron? look <laughs> I, I i think Kawhi would have gone i think Kawhi just how he's built he wanted to create something with the Clippers that hasn't yeah. been d- done, right? Like, I don't, I hear you with saying, yeah, if, if LeBron wasn't there, he probably would have come to the Lakers. But I really do yeah. think that Kawhi, as an as a L.A. kid, 
he wanted to mm-hmm. do something that had never been done before, which was deliver a championship to the Clippers, right? And so right. I want to I want to key in right there, right? You that's probably going to be the Western Conference Finals, Clippers, Lakers. Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. does that leave LeBron in that discussion? Even at thirty five years old, right? If mm-hmm. Kawhi comes to the West with the Clippers and dominates him for for two years, do you think a lot of Lakers fans are going to become Clippers fans? And then also, how does that impact negatively how LeBron LeBron will be viewed specifically? being the guy that allowed the Clippers to finally become a relevant team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, l- listen, a lot of Lakers fans have pro- probably have already uh, become Clippers fans. Not me, but 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 yeah, if I mean if Kawhi beats if Kawhi beats LeBron in in the in the in the playoffs, oh man, that's 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 gonna that's gonna be a real I think bad look for for LeBron for the Lakers. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people will become Clippers. And if he wins, the, if he ultimately wins the championship this year, I mean a lot of people are gonna become Clippers fans. I mean, I mean if you, if it, if Kawhi wins the championship this year, uh, I mean he he's on a you know he's on that he's starting to insert himself into all time yes you know, he is conversation. Sure. Yes, he is. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting playoffs for sure. All right. One last question uh, on LeBron and we'll get you out of here, here on this. Will. you know, you mentioned yep. earlier the kind of I guess over the past decade, pretty much while, you know, I guess while LeBron was building up his accolades to be AP de- uh, male athlete of the decade, there was this battle that was always between him and Kobe. Right. And, and even on social media, the Twitter world kind of amplified that battle and almost made them into you couldn't like one. You couldn't like both of them. You had to choose one. You know, and, right. and so it seemed as though, you know, I don't know how real <clears throat> the rivalry really was or if it was just kind of something that was manufactured by the people who were saying LeBron was better and the Kobe fans saying there's no way that he's better. During that period of time, what was that period of time like for you? Because I know that you were, you know, we used to have battles, you know, for many <laughs> years and you used to obviously right. think that, you know, Kobe was the GOAT or going to be the GOAT. And, and then here comes LeBron. What was that period of time like for you? Oh, when they started, when the media started uh, pitting Kobe, uh, Kobe fans, I guess against LeBron fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, look, it was a well. It, it, that was a uh, uh, that was a good that would have been a good rivalry had they actually met in the finals. Right. Uh, but but I mean, it, it still it still is you know a rivalry for historical purposes. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, you know earlier, these guys. I think Kobe and LeBron are kind of battling for who's who's to post MJ great mm-hmm. right who's the best who's the best in the post mj era lebron still has some he still has some path to to actually being uh the overall goat as well though i don't think that window is that wide as some people might but uh you know he has a path there but that's that's just what they're battling over i mean this is a, you know this is about you know the, the legacy of these players do you so, think uh, do you yeah. do, do you think and this is just being honest like i i think about this do you think that just by looking at the type of players they are, that LeBron mm-hmm. even belongs in the conversation with Kobe and Mike, right? Or is he more in like you put him with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird in a separate conversation, right? In terms of the mm-hmm. type of players they are. So, so let me ask y'all, what do y'all think about that? About that question, though. Just to turn the question on you, V, real quick. Well, you, <laughs> we, we, we've battled for a long time, you know. I think, <laughs> I think, I think, obviously, there's, there's MJ, and then mm-hmm. I think his maniacal obsession with the game 
right. I, th- I think him and Kobe have that, right? Right. I right. think part of what makes LeBron such a great overall player is that he cares about a lot of different things, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if 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 I need somebody in in the clutch to win me a championship, one A is Jordan, one B is Kobe, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are probably a couple other guys that I put on the list above LeBron, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't he doesn't belong in the conversation. I just think that it's unfair to everyone involved to compare players with one mm-hmm. skill set to LeBron. LeBron is is great for other different reasons than mm-hmm. I think Kobe and MJ are, right? And I think mm-hmm. Kobe and MJ also um, defensively are uh, a superior superior individual mm-hmm. defenders to LeBron. So I think LeBron doesn't get a lot of the credit for being kind of a mm-hmm. basketball maniac and genius that he's starting to now, but that right. Kobe and Mike get because he wasn't always as intense as that. You know, he would dance on the sidelines with his players, do handshakes and high fives. He'd laugh. You'd see him play with his kids. Those are things you didn't see Michael Jordan <laughs> and Kobe do, right? Yeah. right? Those right. dudes were just like intense, intense, intense. And I think because of that, people people downplayed a little bit of LeBron's level of intensity and, and his level of, of, of film study and basketball study and studied attention to detail. And I think mm-hmm. now people are starting to kind of understand, at least just from a basketball IQ standpoint and also kind of from a maniacal obsession standpoint, they're starting to understand, wow, how gifted he is. Um, even maybe he has a photographic memory. I don't know. You know, he'll run down a play and he'll tell you the last two minutes of a game. You're like, what the, like a game that he wasn't even in, you know? Um, in terms of skill set, like V said, I think obviously jo- Kobe's was exactly Jordan's pretty much. I mean, he modeled his game after him. There's, he wouldn't, there, Kobe wouldn't exist as he existed if there was no Jordan. So they're right. most similar in that regard. LeBron's skill set right. is, is is different, like V said, but I do think that in terms of when you're talking about GOAT, right, these conversations are not scientific. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, right. it's kind of like, you know, who do you who do you want on your team? Who do you think can get it done? And, you know, who who's bringing home championships at the end of the day? So mm-hmm. I think when it comes to that, you can compare all these guys. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. the answer, the final answer does not really matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we make it seem like it does, but at the end of the day, it's, it really Jordan, it's Jordan and everyone else. We all know that, but, you know. But LeBron, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's Jordan and everybody else. I, I mean, I, I think... And, and for you, Will, to that. confirm that, because there was a point during Kobe's yep. career, you and he had an argument, you mm-hmm. said if he gets... That's what I'll give you credit for, is the fact that he didn't reach those measures that you thought he needed to reach. Exactly. Leaves and Jordan. See, that's the, and that's the, th- that's the thing. So that right there, V, like, you, you know me, we go way back to back when Kobe was in this prime and all that stuff, and back when Boston and Lakers were, you know, the matchup of the, you know, this, just the game to watch. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the thing about Kobe. I I used to argue with you guys, and I used to say, look, Kobe, Kobe at the end of the day, man, this dude, he might have – uh, X amount of the ch- X amount of championships. He might have the all-time scoring title, mm-hmm. all that stuff. He 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 could be goat mm-hmm. if he does all that. Mm-hmm. So he didn't reach those. He didn't reach. He didn't reach those measures. He didn't out out championship Jordan. He didn't. He did. He barely outscored him uh, and played many more years than he did. Right. So you know he didn't. He didn't reach all those all those measures. And you know I left it alone. Yeah. Uh, it seems like the only the issue I have with LeBron. Uh, and what it seems like with him and, and some of his fans is that it seems like they're trying to create a different standard to yeah. to kind of fit his to kind of fit whatever he uh, whatever he's done. He, right? he is so. so polarizing, right? Like the people that right. dislike him, they won't give credit to anything he does, and the people mm-hmm. who love him, he can do no wrong. He can lose 
four championships in a row and they'll go, Oh, but he made it to eight straight. And it's just, right. a, it's a cultural shift. Right. And I think right. it is interesting right. to see like how this is measured. I mean, anybody who yep. says that LeBron isn't one of the greatest players of all time is a hater. Right. Right. But right. someone who, but the problem that I have is someone who wants to analyze him objectively in the media polarization that we live in. It's like, you're a hater too, just because you're accepting his greatness, but not saying that he's better than these guys. Well, I think the other thing too is that the standard, I think the standard for LeBron, and this is true in other circumstances also, is that, you know, there are, if you look at like kind of context, right? And Will, we talk about this all the time. We battle what does context actually mean, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the context of some of his some of his championship runs, like the first one with the Cavs. I mean, did you really expect him to win the championship? No, but but yes, mm-hmm. it counts against him that he lost, right? So it's kind of like I think some LeBron fans overdo it with context. They try to provide too much context to to his failures, right? Yeah. And I think right. some LeBron haters don't want to provide enough context to it. But right. li- listen, we we uh. We obviously love LeBron over here, right? We are, you know, right. I'm, I'm an Ohio guy. He's an Ohio guy. He brought one of the greatest moments to us in Ohio sports yep. history, winning that cash championship in 2016. And, you know, the reality is, and you're right, Will, with one of the things you said earlier about fanhood, now it's changed a little bit. Part of, part of it is because organizations change, coaches change, players change all the time. It's hard to just stay loyal to one, especially in professional sports, to just one franchise. A lot of times we follow players and I found myself doing that a little bit. Obviously I still root for the Cavs, but it's, you know, it's hard to be excited about a team. They're unwatchable. That you can't watch. (laughs) So, you know, by default, I'm kind of rooting for LeBron over there uh, with Lakers. So anyway, thank you for joining us on the show. Obviously we will probably bring you back to talk more LeBron stuff later as things start to heat up in the playoffs. We got to talk about magic, man. We got to talk about the magic, man. We got to talk about magic. We got to talk about everything, man. Yeah, no. We can do it. I appreciate what you guys are doing, man. And thanks for having me on the show. Oh, no, no, no doubt. And uh, good luck, obviously good luck to you and the Lakers this season. We'll talk later. All right, my brother. All right, take care. Okay, bye. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to give a special message to the Buckeye fans. Uh, You know, I know right now it hurts. I am in the same type of pain that you guys are in, but we must realize that there is a new day, pun intended, at Ohio State, and there are a lot of other programs that you could be right now that I don't think you would want to be. Yeah. So we got to take that one and go. Uh, 2020 is going to be a great year. Ryan Day is ready. Got a lot of recruits. Got a lot of guys coming back. The sun will shine again. Go Bucks. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Zach Smith and Will Guilford. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Pilot Boys, we get on up. Once we get